Well, I'm going to invite you tonight to the book of Ecclesiastes. For those who may be just joining us, we've been in the book of Ecclesiastes um, for a few weeks now on, on Wednesday nights, and uh, we will uh, be back there obviously again tonight, uh, preaching under this title, Life, How Then Should We Live? And we've studied a lot already about the life of Solomon and um, his view about life and um, just some mistakes that he made. We'll talk a little bit about that. But let, me, uh, let me introduce the message this way. A few years ago, there was a book out on the market, and, and you can still get it. Um, it was called Life's Little Instruction Book. Um, it was written by a man named H. Jackson Brown, Jr. And he wrote it for his son. His son's name was Adam. And Adam left home in 1990 to begin his freshman year in college. And so uh, Mr. Brown sat down and uh, wrote some things that he wanted his son to take with him. And I'm just going to give you a little sampling of the, the little, uh, we might call them proverbs, that he wrote to his son. For example, never give up on anybody. Miracles happen every day. And then he wrote this, be tough-minded but tender-hearted. Remember, these are things that he's writing to his 19-year-old son. He said, follow the three R's. Respect for self, respect for others, responsibility for all your actions. And he went on and, and he wrote this, Choose your life's mate carefully. From this one decision will come 90% of all your happiness or misery. This is a dad writing to his son. He's about to go to college. About to launch out on his own. These are some things that this dad wanted his son to know. He said, remember that's what right, that what's, remember that what's right isn't always popular. And what's popular isn't always right. And then I just threw this one in there in light of the message from Sunday night. Remember that a minute of anger denies you 60 seconds of happiness. And, and I mean, it, it, it goes on and on and on and on, these little, uh, these little uh, quips that this dad wrote. In, and of his book, here's what he said. He said, I wanted to, to, uh, to provide Adam with a roadmap of what I had learned about living a happy and rewarding life. That was his intent. I wanted to provide Adam with a roadmap of what I had learned about living a happy and rewarding life. And here's why that is significant, because living a happy and rewarding life is what Solomon is trying to teach us in the book of Ecclesiastes. And I believe that he would have us learn from his mistakes. So where do you think 
Mr. Brown got the idea that uh, what's right isn't always popular and what's popular isn't always right. I mean, it very well could be that he made a mistake somewhere down the line following something that was popular that he found out in the end wasn't right. Or he may have, he may have, it may have worked like this. He may have done something right, but it wasn't popular. But either way, he learned a lesson. And we've already learned enough about Solomon's life in the first uh, three and a half uh, chapters of the book of Ecclesiastes to know that he made some horrible mistakes. As a matter of fact, he shares those mistakes with us. And he writes to us, I believe, to help us avoid many of the heartaches and heartbreaks that he had to endure as the result of choosing to live his life, as he put it so many times, under the sun, which we know by now in our study, here's what he was talking about. I tried to live my life without God. I paid attention to everything under the sun. I paid absolutely no attention to anything above the sun. And here's what it cost me. Here's, here's the issues that it brought into my life. And, he, and he's talked about that, and he'll talk about it more um, as we go on. In, we've already studied the first 11 verses of chapter 3. Uh, in verses 1 through 8, Solomon gives us his impressions of life. And then in verses 9 through 11, uh, he shares with us his insights about God. And now in verses 12 through 15, he's going to deliver some instructions about living. And here's, here's the first instruction that he gives us in verse 12. We need to be mindful of God's sovereignty. Be mindful of God's sovereignty. Look at it. He said, I know, verse 12, I know that there is no good in them, but for a man to rejoice and to do good in his life. Now, that verse actually takes us back to verse 11, where Solomon talked about the mysterious workings of God's plan. Look at it again, uh, verse 11. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he hath set the world, and we studied that word, we looked at it, we know that it means vanishing point, or we might say eternity, that God has set eternity in their heart, so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. So again, we're talking about God's sovereignty, we're talking about God's control. And the truth tonight is this. Some people resent God's control over time and eternity. And here's why. Because they would rather set their own agenda. I want to live my life the way I want to live it. I don't want to live it by somebody else's agenda. Even if it's God. I don't want to live by God's agenda. I want to live by my own agenda. But Solomon 
could see the beauty at this point in his life of God's sovereignty. Not only is there a time for everything, we read that at the beginning of this chapter, not only is there a time for everything, but God does things at just the right time. Therefore, he praised God for his beautiful timing. In his commentary on Ecclesiastes, a man by the name of Philip Ryken writes this, It is in this sense that God can be said to have beautiful timing. And whatever time he does things, God is always right on time. He knows when it is time for breaking down and building up, for keeping and casting away, for war and for peace. Again, a reference to the early verses. When the preacher, that's Solomon, that's what he calls himself, when the preacher says that God has made everything beautiful in its time, he is not just talking about the way that God made the world in the first place, but about the way that he has ruled it ever since. The seasons of nature and the patterns of human activity are under his sovereign superintendence and providential care. From beginning to end, God does everything decently and in order. Knowing that God is in control does not necessarily mean that we always understand his timing, and we certainly don't always appreciate his timing. As a matter of fact, being finite creatures who are living in a fallen world, well, let's admit it tonight, there are many things we don't understand. Can I get some help there? There are a lot of things we just don't get. We just don't understand. And no matter how hard we look, we cannot, as Paul, or excuse me, as Solomon said here at the end of verse 11, no matter how hard we look, we just cannot find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. And it's the frustration of not knowing that often robs us of the joy that God intends for us to have in life, which is the, the, what Solomon addresses in verse 12. Look at it again. I know that there is no good in them, but for a man to rejoice and to do good in his life. Church, listen to me tonight. We should not give up on enjoying life just because we don't understand it. Don't throw in the towel just because you don't understand things that are going on in your life. Imagine, imagine going to a really cool theme park. I visited with my friend, uh, Brother Jim Love, from Cincinnati a couple of times today, and um, years ago, we, would, we took our vacation often to uh, Cincinnati, and we'd hang out uh, with Brother Love and, and uh, his wife, and our kids grew up with their kids and just had a great time, and we'd always go to Kings Island, and Kings Island had some really cool roller coasters. Any roller coaster fans here, raise your hand. Yes. Good. 
I love roller coasters. I mean, give me something that goes up and down and around and around really fast, I'm good. But you put me on one of those things that just goes the same way, I'm going to lose it. It's not going to be pretty. I could tell you a story right now about when that happened on a trip years ago. Not me, but I won't. Well, yeah, I will. We took a church trip to Wonderland Park in Amarillo. If you've ever been there, you know they got this big ship. And it just, it starts out like this. I mean, it keeps the same speed, but it just gets higher and higher and higher. Have you ever, have you ever thought to yourself or said this to somebody, man, wouldn't that be awesome if somebody just lost it right here? I always wondered what that would look like. And so I was standing there watching this, and I saw what it looked like. Wowzer. Got right up to the top, and this lady lost it. And just whoosh, hurled chunks all over those people that were below her. Now, you put me on one of those, you put me on a roller coaster, I'm good. I mean, I'll do that all day long, but you put me on one of them things, and it's not going to be good at all. So imagine you're going to a, an amusement park, and I mean, it's got some amazing uh, roller coasters. You have all day, all day to spend there. And so as you walk through the gates, the first thing you look for is the place to sit down. And you find a nice place to sit down under the, under the shade and and you're just surrounded by all of these amazing, amazing roller coasters. And so what do you do? You sit on the bench, pull out your laptop, and you dedicate yourself to computing the precise mechanical configuration of every roller coaster on the premises. Because to your way of thinking, in order to derive the most pleasure out of each one of those rides, then you've got to know how it works. <coughs> works. My man voice there. Works. <laughs> so now it's been eight hours. You've been there eight hours, and it's time to go home. But the old laptop, I mean, it's still grinding away. But you haven't experienced the thrill of one single ride. Say, preacher, what's that all about? Here's what it's about. That's what happens in life when we think in order to enjoy it, we have to understand it. That's called the paralysis of analysis. Just because we can't understand everything that goes on doesn't mean that we can't enjoy anything of life. Can I just refresh your memory a little bit from our last lesson? Uh, let me just read you some scriptures and remind you of some things. Job eleven seven. Canst thou by searching find out God? Canst thou find out the Almighty under perfection? In other words, Job's asking this. Do you think you can figure God out? What's the answer? No. Romans eleven thirty three. 33, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the 
wisdom and knowledge of God. He said, how unsearchable are his judgments, and look at this church, and his ways past finding out. Please get this tonight. There comes a time when we simply have to acknowledge our smallness and accept God's greatness and begin to rejoice in the fact that we're alive. Because I'm going to tell you, if all you do is sit around and try to figure out God, you're going to have a miserable life. There's going to be a lot of things that you don't get. You don't get why it happened. You don't get why it happened when it happened. You don't get how it happened, when it happened, why it happened. And if all you're going to do is sit around and try to figure out God, listen, you're going you're to live a miserable existence. There has to come a time when we understand He's God, I'm not, and I've got to go on. Are you with me? I've just got to live my life. God said in Isaiah 55, 9, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. The great hymn writer of yesteryear wrote, God moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. There are a lot of people, a lot of lost people, who want to try and, and get the answer to every question about God before they're willing to commit their lives to Him. And in doing so, they are missing the heart of the issue, which is the issue of the heart. For the saved, Jesus said this in John chapter 10 and verse 10. He said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Note the word abundantly. Describes the way, listen, it describes the way that God wants to bless our lives. Man, it's not, I'm not a health and wealth prosperity preacher, but I know the book, and it says God wants to bless his people. He does. God wants to bless his people. I mean, just look at the word, again, look at the word abundantly, and I, it, it's so appears so many times in the scriptures. For example, God wants to abundantly pardon our sin. Isaiah 55, 7. His grace is exceedingly abundant. 1 Timothy 1, 14. We are promised an abundance of peace. Psalm 37. The Bible talks about the abundance of God's grace, the abundance of labor, the abundant rejoicing, and abundant mercy. Listen, God is about abundance. I know I've shared this with you before, but here's how the Strong's Concordance defines the Greek word used for abundantly in John chapter 10 and verse 10. It means superabundant in quantity. He wants us to have a lot of abundance, a lot of life. Superabundant in quantity and superior in quality. Jesus said that's the kind of life that I came to give those who would put their faith and trust in me. A life that is super abundant in quantity and superior in quality. 
Vine's expository dictionary defines it like this. What is above and over, super added. What is superior and advantageous. Word pictures in the New Testament says it means to have surplus. Listen, church, that's the kind of life that God wants us to have. That's the kind of life that God wants us to live. But I'm going to tell you tonight, you will be robbed of that kind of life. Again, if all you do is try to sit around and figure out why God does what he does. I can tell you why God does what he does. It's because he's God. Pure and simple. He can do what he wants to do. That's who he is. And he doesn't ask our permission. He doesn't ask our advice. He just does what a God does. I shouldn't say a God. He he does what the God does. And that's it. Listen, I have no doubt but that many Christians will approach the end of their lives wishing they had served God more faithfully. But I also think that many will wish they had lived more abundantly, more joyfully. And I don't know about you tonight, but I don't want my life to end with either of those regrets. I don't want to go to my grave wishing that I had been more faithful to the Lord. But at the same time, I don't want to die wishing I had gotten more out of life when I know that Jesus saved me to give me abundant life. Listen, God enjoys our enjoyment. You with me? He enjoys our enjoyment. He filled the world with good things for a purpose. So listen to your preaching tonight. Go to a football game. Spend time with your family. Take a vacation. Pursue a hobby. Do something for yourself every now and then. Listen, God's not going to chastise you for that. He's good with that. He's good with you enjoying what he's given. Let me just put a little PS on there. Don't do it at the expense of robbing him of what he rightfully deserves in terms of time and energy and resources, okay? I don't want to put a downer on that, but we need to understand that. We need to enjoy things, but don't don't rob God. One writer said this about Christians, some saints can't enjoy a meal because the world is starving. They can't joyfully thank God for their clothing and shelter because the world is naked and homeless. They're afraid to enjoy an evening at home with their families because they feel like they ought to be out saving souls. They can't spend an hour with an unforgiven one without feeling guilty if they haven't preached a sermon or manifested a sober Christian spirit. They know nothing of balance and they're miserable because of it. They think the gospel is good news until you obey it and then it becomes an endless guilt trip. Enjoy life. Enjoy your fame. Listen, 
Listen, there are any number of times during the week that I, I will have lunch with a lost person and never bring up the gospel. I don't have to do that every time I'm with a lost person. Maybe I need to spend a little while building a relationship. I told you, I think I, I said this maybe Sunday morning during Bible study time or whatever, that you know, early on in, in my ministry, I mean, I used to get, I used, oh, it used to ruin my day when people would go off on the weekends and not be in church. Just, oh, it just infuriated me. And then it dawned on me one day, hey, knucklehead, those people are here 50 out of 52 Sundays a year. Give them a break. I'll tell you, it's changed. It's changed the ministry for me. I don't lay awake at night, fuming, writing down on a piece of, they weren't here, and they weren't here, and they weren't here, and they weren't here, and they weren't here. You laugh at that, but I used to do that. I got that uptight about people not being in church. Especially on Memorial Day and Labor Day. I was fit to be tied on those weekends. I just threw the towel in on those babies a long time ago. Because my guilt tripping is not going to change anything. You're still leaving. <laughs> Amen. Listen, I'm just being transparent with you tonight. Listen, I want you to get away and enjoy life. That way you won't be so cantankerous when you're here. I've got an ulterior motive. I don't deal with grouchy church members. So go have some fun next weekend. Or whenever, just don't be grouchy. I'm bringing a little levity to it tonight, but, but here's, what, here's what Solomon is saying. God has given us life to enjoy, and we don't have to understand it all to enjoy it. God has everything under control, <laughs> and he doesn't need you and I looking over his shoulder to make sure he's doing it right. Uh, hey, God, he doesn't need us. He's got it under control. So be mindful of his sovereignty and just enjoy being saved. But the second thing Solomon instructs us about is being thankful for God's blessings. Look at verse 13. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. Look at this. It is the gift of God. David Jeremiah said this, the most powerful weapon in the attitudinal arsenal is gratitude. I never heard that before, attitudinal arsenal. He said, our greatest weapon is gratitude. And I'm convinced Paul would certainly agree with that because he wrote a lot about being thankful. Let me show you, uh, for example, 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, and everything give thanks. He didn't say for everything give thanks. He said in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Ephesians 5.20 giving thanks always for all things unto God and, and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 4.6. Pastor Tyler uh, taught us about this a couple of months ago when preaching through the book of Philippians. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer supplication with thanksgiving. 
Let your requests be made known unto God. Colossians 3, 17, And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. And then we find this in Psalm 34, 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise. What is praise? It's the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. Hebrews 13, His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And, and how can we forget Job's words? Job 1:21. Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Have you ever noticed that some of the most joyful people in life are those who seem to have the least to be thankful for. <laughs> when the well-known British Methodist preacher William Sangster learned that he had a progressive muscular atrophy and, and he wasn't going to get well, he wasn't going to live, he made four resolutions and he kept them to the end. Look at this. Number one, I will never complain. Number two, I will keep the home bright. Number three, I will count my blessings. And number four, I will try to turn it to gain. That's how he approached the end of his life. And there's some of us here tonight who have great health. And as far as we know, many, many more years of living. It wouldn't hurt us to start practicing those things right now. Amen. Walking around, always down in the dumps, always poor mouthing, poor me, woe is me, blah, 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 blah. Never complain. Keep the home bright. Count your blessings and make every attempt to turn it into gain. Many of you have heard the name Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday was... Um, probably the best-known evangelist in the world during the 1900s. And his wife, Helen, uh, was very, very involved in his ministry. And on November the 19th, 1935, he died in her arms, leaving her to feel as though she had lost both her husband and her life's work. The following week at a memorial service in Buffalo, her subject was this, things I'm thankful for. She had a, a long list, but here's, here's how she began. Folks, it's surprising how many things God can reveal to you to be thankful for if you really want to know and ask him to help you. I had no idea there were so many. But when I prayed and asked God to help me write them down, they came into my mind one after the other. The very first one was, if Billy had to go, oh, how thankful I was to God Almighty that he called him away in an instant. He just cried out to me, I'm getting dizzy, Ma, and he was gone. How wonderful to be here one second and up in heaven the next second. 
never knowing any real pain or any real suffering of that type. She said, I think God was so good to take Billy that way. And I thank him for it. Even, even when her husband dies in her arms, she thanks God that he died quickly. <laughs> James said that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness neither shadow of turning. So church, we need to learn to be thankful for God's gifts. And we need to learn to enjoy them. And then we'll wrap it up with this, verses 14 and 15. Be respectful of God's greatness. Be respectful of God's greatness. Look at it, verse 14. I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God doeth it, that men should fear before him. That which hath been is now, and that which is to be hath already been. And God requireth that which is past. So he talks here about the fear of the Lord. What is the, the fear of the Lord? Is it to live in worry and dread, panicked over, over what God might choose to do to us? No. That's not a biblical concept of the fear of God. To fear God, I remember years ago, Brother Ted Hoskins and I, our youth pastor, always used to say this, the fear of God is a reverential trust. A reverential trust. To fear God is to stand in awe of Him. To respect His greatness. Have you ever stood in the presence of someone and you were like, whoa, this is incredible. Now, I know we give different presidents a hard time. I get all of that. But I'm telling you tonight, if I had the opportunity to stand in the presence of any president, I don't care who he was, whether he's a scoundrel or not, there's just something about the office of president that would make me go, wow. I am standing in the presence of the most powerful man in the world. You with me? Forget everything else. This is the most powerful man in the world. And I would have, I would be in awe of him. I would respect his greatness, the greatness of his position. Now for some, these verses may appear to be a, a bit fatalistic. I mean, what's done is done, and what's going to be done is going to be done. So what's the use in trying to make my situation better? 
But I just don't buy into that interpretation uh, at all. Because the desired end, Solomon tells us what the desired end of, of God's workings is. And it is the fear of the Lord. Which is actually, if viewed properly from a biblical perspective, is one of the most positive concepts in all of the Bible. To fear God. I mean, we're going to wrap it up here. To fear God is not to give up on finding meaning in life, but to rest our lives on the only solid foundation for time and eternity. To fear God is to trust in His foreknowledge, believing that He knows all things, including our present joys and trials. To fear God, to be in awe of His greatness, is to believe that He is still in control. Listen, even when we cannot see or do not understand what He's doing. Let me close with this. Several years ago, the church gave Katie and I a cruise for our church anniversary. And uh, we were sailing out of Jacksonville, Florida. And I remember the first time I saw that cruise ship. I was like, whoa, this is a big boat. This, this is a big one. And I, I mean, it was huge. I'm from southwest Kansas. I'd never gotten any farther than Oklahoma City. And I'm in Jacksonville, Florida, and I'm looking at this humongous ship. And we got on that, and, and I mentioned the loves a moment ago. They, they went as well. And so we got to spend time with, with our best friends on this huge ship. I and mean, we, we had a great time. But listen to me. Not one time in that whole trip did we get to meet the captain. Not one time. But at the same time, never once did we ever wonder if there was anyone steering the ship. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying this, though we can't see our captain. Listen, church, there's no reason to believe that he's not steering the ship of our life. Through the calm, and through the storm, he's at the helm. He's got it. So you know what you and I need to do? You and I need to do what Katie and I and Jim and Tammy did. You just need to enjoy the ride. Get everything out of life you can. Enjoy every moment that you can. Because God's okay with that. God's not some cosmic killjoy like, hey, you quit smiling down there. What are you doing enjoying him, grandkids? That's not God. God's like, how come you're not smiling? I've been good to you. Look around. Try not to focus on what you've lost. And focus on what you have left. 
church, if we'll just take time to look at God's blessings in our lives, we can't help but smile. Yeah, there's some things that we've experienced and we've gone through. I'm telling you, there's still enough left to bring joy. And again, God's okay with that. 